killing me. All right, let's try this. Done. You know, sometimes things work really well, and then other times they don't. You ever notice that? Just when you expect something to go well, and then it won't. Okay, now what do we have? Nothing. We got nothing. Okay, while we're working on that, here's what I wanted to tell you is that, um, uh, like Reese said, my wife and I were converted here in 1993. We actually got married in 1990. Uh, we got engaged when I was 20 years old and uh, Tracy was 21. And here, there's a picture of my family right there. Um, so Tracy and I got, we, we realized uh, when I was 20 and she was 21 that we had kind of reached the pinnacle of uh, kind of our intelligence. And we really had become as smart as, well really, I don't know, as smart as we were going to get, but smarter than anybody else that we knew. Uh, and so we decided it was a good idea for us to go ahead and get married. So we did that. And I got, I got married three months after I turned 21. And uh, we, we were in Oklahoma. We both grew up in Oklahoma. And uh, we love it there. And, uh, but we stayed there for a couple years and we moved to Dallas and then Tracy came uh, she got accepted to USC to work on her masters at USC and so we moved to California and uh, coming from Oklahoma and suburban Dallas and then we got to move in right on 29th Street down by USC and uh, it was a little bit of a culture shock uh, for us and my wife was going to school so she had something to do I had nothing to do, and I was panicking and scared to death, and I couldn't find anything that looked normal uh, at all. And uh, it, was, it was a little freaky, and so I would just sit in the apartment all day. Um, but as a musician, I was trying to get out and start working, and I was trying to do that, but then we met, uh, or actually Tracy met, a brother named Andy Graybill. And Andy was, her, uh, was the other violinist in her string quartet, and the first day that he met her, he invited her to church. And uh, she started coming, and we, uh, she started coming to church. I didn't want to come with her, but Anthony and Songa Lang were leading the central region at that time. They were leading the USC ministry. And uh, we just became great friends uh, over a few months. And so many things God just put into place, and, and we became Christians in November of 1993. And uh, it was such a, it was really an amazing thing. Now, here's why it's amazing, because now I look at this. I look at this picture. In the middle is my daughter, uh, J.L., my oldest daughter. She is 19, and she just started her sophomore year at Pepperdine. Uh, and yesterday was her fifth spiritual birthday. She's been a Christian for five years, and she's just an amazing girl. And uh, it's absolutely incredible. On the far right is my son, Jonathan. He is 16. He got baptized in December of this last year, uh, which was really great. And uh, uh, he is a junior in high school trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. And um, actually, similar to me, he, uh, he very, very smart. Smarter than almost anybody that he knows, which is, which is really cool. So that's one of those things that gets handed down from, you know, from, from your parents and stuff. Uh, so that, that was really cool. But these other little two guys on the left-hand side, on the left is Jacob and then his sister Brooklyn. And uh, Jacob and Brooklyn came to live with us three and a half years ago. Uh, and we adopted them into our family and they have just made our life so incredible. Uh, very, very full. Very, very uh, uh, very busy. Uh, we and, and but actually, it's totally pushed us to our knees because uh, I, I just didn't realize how much I needed God. 
uh, until we have him. And I'm not even trying to be really funny about that. It's just true. You know, sometimes you think you're going along. I mean, this happened to me like when we had JL. JL was kind of like one of those kids that is just a very wonderful, compliant, enjoyable child to have. And parents, you, you probably know if you've had one of those, like if it, she was my first one. So I just thought I was a good parent. I thought I was brilliant, you know, and I was looking at all these other parents going, what's wrong with you? Why don't you just do what I do and then you get that? You know, and then, uh, then I had Jonathan and that, that changed things a little bit. God, he just, he helped me with that. But, uh, and, and, and so I didn't know how much I needed God until I had my second child and then I really didn't know how much I needed God until I had my third and my fourth. And it, it has just pushed me. But here's, here's why I was overwhelmed when I was sitting over there is that every one of the people in my family has an opportunity now to have a relationship with God. My daughter is a Christian. My son is a Christian. And their lives are changed. And then we adopted these other two incredible kids and their lives were changed. But that happened because many of you that are in this room decided that you wanted to be faithful to God. And you decided that you wanted... Some of you moved to L.A. to start a church here. Others of you felt like, I want to participate and be a part of a church that is here. And you would come every Sunday, and people would drive and set up all the, 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 the sound equipment, and there were Bible talks going on all over. And people were sharing their faith. Someone decided to get out of themselves and invite my wife to church. And my wife can be an intimidating person. She's focused. She is driven. She's got. She's. She's always busy doing something. And she's. She was practicing. And he actually came into her practice room at USC, interrupted her, introduced himself, said, "I'm going to be the other violinist in your string quartet. And by the way, do you want to come to church with me on Sunday?" Wow. And because of that. I get this. And I'm grateful. And so it's, I mean, it is an honor to be here with you in this place today. I wanted to say thank you to all of you who have been faithful for so many years. Those of you that helped to build this church, that helped to build the LA church. I want to say thank you to those of you who have helped to work in Kids Kingdom and have come and taught classes. How many of you ever taught a Kids Kingdom class? Raise your hand. Yeah, thank you. I want to say thank you to those of you that have been ushers and that work and greet people as they come in and the people that, that pass the communion. I want to thank the people that do the counting and the administration for the church. And I want to thank the people that, that every time that you have come to a Bible talk, Every time that you have shared your faith with somebody, every time that you have just decided that you wanted to be nice to someone, every church service that you have ten- that you have attended, every time that you have forgiven somebody, thank you for that. Because when you do that, you create an environment for knuckleheads like me to actually have a chance to have a relationship with God. And I'm so grateful. Um, it's so cool too just to see so many of my friends I see people here that I know and that I love and that I've loved for years and it's awesome and I see all my friends from teen camp and youth camp I see you guys it's so cool it's great to see you
I'm so encouraged by your worship team and by what Kevin has done here with this whole group. You guys, great job with that. Thank you for leading me in worship. It's so nice, actually, to just sit and be led in worship because I don't, I don't get to do that very often. Usually I'm up here doing that. And so just to be able to sit and be led in worship is such a great thing. So I wanted to say thank you for that. Uh, this week I actually got to spend uh, four days with Rafael Lua. Um, who I know that you know, most of you know. Um, if you don't, he uh, leads the Lifeway Region as one of the ministers here. Just a, what an incredible guy. Well, Rafael and I were in Mexico City together this week. Uh, and we got to spend time in Mexico City, which, by the way, beautiful city. Anybody ever been to Mexico City? Really beautiful. Like I was, I, it just was not what I expected. Uh, just the architecture and all kinds of stuff. It was really cool. But we went there so uh, because there was uh, some meetings that needed to happen to help some reconciliation between people. And um, I was honored enough to be able to be a part of it. And Raphael were there and, and I were there working together and helping people. But there, there were some relationships that had gotten broken about eight years ago. And over those eight years, there had been a lot of doubt and mistrust and gossip and hurt feelings. And it had really damaged the church, not just in Mexico, but throughout Mexico, Central America, all the churches around there. Because Satan was doing something really incredible. He was working hard. And, but what we got to witness this week was an absolute miracle of God. And, and we got to see people come back together and apologize to one another for the things that they had done to hurt each other and to apologize for the things that they had said about each other and to actually listen to one another and figure out you know, what it was that, that, that had actually happened rather than just assuming that they knew. And there were tears and there was, there was, I mean, just resolution. I mean, can you imagine eight years? But it was so incredible. Let me tell you something. There is going to be an explosion of people becoming Christians in Mexico and in Central America because of the reconciliation of all of these brothers and sisters. And I can't wait to see it happen. But it really kind of stuck with me because for the last couple of months since Reese invited me to come, it was funny, I kept waiting for Reese to call back and realize that he had invited me. And go, you know what? Oh, I didn't... No, I meant Kevin. That's who I meant. I meant somebody else. You know, because I, I always feel like a little kid. I don't know if anybody ever, else everybody feels that way, but sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just a little kid. I'm a little boy, and, and, and at some point people are going to figure it out. You know? I kind of put off this image, but then, you know, really, I'm just, I'm just a scared little kid all the time. So anyhow, as I've been trying to figure out, like, what, what do I want to say when I go preach at Lifeway? And then I, I would start to think, like, I want to say something really cool, or I want to say something really deep. I want, to, I want to come up with something really awesome, because if I do, then they'll think I'm really awesome. If I say something awesome, then they'll think I'm awesome. And that's, I mean, I'm a performer by nature, and so, they, you know, I, I think that way. And so I, I always want to perform, and I want to look good, but that gets into my heart. And it's the thing about, like, okay, how, how do I present myself so that you will think I'm great and that you will think I'm awesome? Now, I have been actually really studying or thinking about something that I thought was cool over the last couple of months, and I was going to preach about that today. And because it's this whole thing about why did Jesus come from the line of Judah? Instead of, Judah wasn't the firstborn son of Jacob, but Jesus came from the line of Judah. And what was it about Judah? Why wasn't it Reuben? Why wasn't it Simeon? Why was this? And those, there's really cool things about Judah. He was a mess, made horrible decisions, but he repented in amazing ways when he was confronted. So was that it? Was it? So I was going to do this whole thing about repentance, but I was really going to do it so you would think I was awesome and a great Bible scholar. <laughs> But I realized with some things that have been going on in my life over the last few weeks and what I did this last week in Mexico, you know what, that's not what I wanted to talk about. That's not what God wanted me to talk about. And I think what God wants me to talk about today is something very simple. 
And I think what God wants you to hear and wants me to hear is how important our relationships are. How important the church is and how important our relationships are. And it's an amazing thing how quickly our relationships can be severed and how, how doubt and suspicion can creep in and what that does to the church. But a lot of times people think that that's okay. The church is just, well, I mean, you go to church like you go to your social club. It's like a, a gym. Well, what gym are you a member of? I'm a member of that gym and I like to go to that Starbucks and I like to go to that church. Like church is just kind of a part of your life. And so then if you don't like somebody at your church, that's okay, but I still like everybody else that's there. Or I got mad at that guy, but I don't really have to deal with him that much. You know, if, as long as we're not in the same Bible talk, then it's not that big of a deal. And for those of you that are guests here today, maybe you're here for the first time or the second time, and you're, maybe you're even trying to figure out what is a church really supposed to be? Is it somewhere where you just come on Sunday and you just kind of plop down and somebody sings and somebody tells you something and then you walk out and you go, okay, that's good? Well, it's not. The church is actually something very different. In fact, I want to talk to you about this. Uh, there's so many... I've been studying the book of Ephesians. Now, this, honestly, is really cool. I think it's really cool. So, I, I, whether or not you think it's cool, I prayed about it to God this morning. I don't care. I don't, and I don't care if you think I'm cool, but I think this is really amazing. So I want to share this with you today, okay? So I want to talk to you about some things in the book of Ephesians. So if you want to turn your Bible over to Ephesians, we're going to be jumping through chapters 1, 2, 3, 6, and we're going to come back to 4. We're going to be moving around a little bit. Or you can just write these scriptures down and look at them as we go. But Paul, there's this guy named Paul, and Paul started all these churches throughout kind of like Asia and then over into Greece and stuff. And, and Ephesus was one of these cities, and it's actual, actual Actually, a beautiful place to go. I went there several years ago. There's ruins, and you can see where Paul walked, and see where he preached, and see where the big riot was. And, and uh, Acts chapter 19, read about that later. But here, so Paul is writing to this church that he loves. He spent three years there, and then later he's in prison, and he's writing back to them. And so he says all these this really cool stuff. And there's a couple things that I want you to really think about today. First off, in ch- uh, chapter one, verse four, he says, "For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight." So God chose you before He even created the world to be holy and blameless. No, not exactly. Not to be holy and blameless, but listen, to be holy and blameless in His sight. That means the way that He sees you is blameless. When He looks at you, He sees you as holy. When He looks at you, He sees you as blameless. Now, He did that through Jesus and through Jesus dying on the cross for us, which is amazing. But this is how God looks at you. And when He looks at all of us in the church, it's holy and blameless, and He wants to see us that way. Why? There's something great about the church. And then He goes on and He starts talking about how, like, I want you to see this incomparably great power that God has. And I want you to understand, in fact, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you'll be able to understand how amazing God really is. And God is so great and He does all this for you. And then He gets down to the end of chapter 1 verse 23 and He says this, that the church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. I just think that's brilliant. Think about that. The church is not peripheral to the world. It's not something just kind of like out there on the, on the, the outside of you know the, the world. The church is something that's out there. No, 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 no. The church is it. The church is the most amazing thing that could ever be created. It's awesome. The church is beautiful. It is wonderful. It is awesome. And the world is peripheral to that. The world is not kind of on the outside of the church. That changes the way you think about it. And then he says the church is Christ's body in which He speaks and acts by which He fills everything with His presence. 
So here we are, guys, the way that you are, with the people that you know, the person sitting next to you, on your right or your left. You are Christ's body. The church is supposed to be how Jesus does things. He thinks it, He decides it, and we do it. So you don't come here for you. This is not a self-help group. This is not somewhere where you come just to try to get your life together. A church is where you come and you're like, okay, Jesus, what do you want from me? How can I serve you? And our whole life is now given so that Jesus can direct us and tell us what to do and where to go and how to think. And let me tell you something. Some of you might think that that is weird or that's controlling or nobody can tell me what to do. But wouldn't you want like the king of the universe to be the one kind of telling you what to do? If he is totally good and totally awesome and can be absolutely trusted, now that's a whole other sermon, whether or not God can be absolutely trusted. But let's just assume for a moment that he can. Hypothetically, let's start there, that Jesus can absolutely be trusted and he has your best interests at heart. And now we are going to follow him and do all this. So here we are in this great church. This is awesome. We come together. But what can it feel like? (laughs) here's the church supposed to be this great place but then all of a sudden have you ever gotten mad at anybody in the church you ever had an attitude with anybody in the church has it ever gone to that thankfully not I talked to a brother the other day that that was uh, telling me about a bible study he was in one time with this guy he was studying the bible with this guy trying to help him become a Christian and the, the guy said, I don't know, I don't know exactly what he said, but he said something that apparently pushed his brother over the edge, and he did punch him in the face. In a Bible study, I'm just going to go ahead and punch you in the face. So the guy did become a Christian, uh, which was really good, and everything worked out. But I mean, some, sometimes, guys, because guess what? People are messy. People are, you are messy. And you know what? The other thing, you're annoying. You are, you get on people's nerves. You do stuff and say stuff that bothers people. It just does. You bother people. And they bother you. And this is just how we are. And then we start thinking this. You walk in, you're like, oh, that guy. And instead of walking up to him and saying hi, you walk, let me go around to the other door and come in over here so I don't actually have to see them and say hi to him, right? Oh, that guy. And there's something inside of you that just bothers you. You're like, why? Why him? Why do they have to be in here? Have you ever had a talk with God? Like, God, I like your church, except that guy. God, I know you put him in here, but I, I, you might want to rethink that one, because I'm not really sure that he should be here. But see, this is what Jesus came to do. His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two. And out of the two what? Well, He was talking about the two groups, the Gentiles and the Jews. These people who had hated each other and were separated from, other, uh, separated from one another. And Jesus came to bring one new humanity out of those two groups. So instead of having two groups, He brings them together in one new humanity, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them, both of those two groups to God, through the cross by which He put to death their hostility. Now do not miss the importance of that. That Jesus, through the cross, put to death our hostility. 
So if you feel hostility towards anyone, if you feel resentment towards anyone, if you feel anger or unforgiveness, that's not from Jesus. Jesus already put that to death. That's going to come from somewhere else. Then he goes on and he starts talking about this mystery. There's this great mystery that is going on. And the mystery wasn't revealed before, but now it's been revealed. And I'm an administrator of this mystery. I get to tell you all about it. And what's the mystery? What is the big secret that nobody knew for a long time? For generations, everyone wanted to know what's the mystery? What's the secret? Here it is. The mystery is that through the Gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So the mystery is that these people that hated each other are going to get to get along in the church. And the church is going to be where it happens. Now, do you notice anything in particular? Is there a, a theme or a pattern in there? What do you see? Is there a word that you see that happens over and over? Let me help you out. Together. The mystery is that through the, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs what? Together, together with Israel and members together. together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And this is it. We're supposed to be together. And it is so hard sometimes to be together with people that you don't necessarily like. Because here's the thing, when you get into a church, you're not going to like everybody. There's actually some people you'll like. There's people you're going to get along with. There's people who are really cool. And that's good. And you want to be in their Bible thought. I'd like to be with them, please. But then those people, no. I don't, I don't like them at all. And why? Is it because of the sports team that they like? Is it something else? No, you know what it is? It's just that we are all sinners trying to figure out how to be like God. And we all have problems. And when you have sin, it's like this thing that juts out of you and it bumps up against other people and it rubs up against them wrong sometimes. You can think about it like sandpaper. I just have rough edges. Yeah, you have rough edges. Those are called sin. And so you have sin that rubs up against other people's sin and it causes problems. And that, that's what it is. But look at this. This blows my mind. His intent, God's intent, was that now through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So God's intent was that through the church, His wisdom would be made known. Now, if I were God, I would make my wisdom known in a different way. I would do it through a public address you know, uh, system or say it really loudly or speak into people's minds. I'm going to show you my wisdom by lightning bolts from my hands or something. I mean, whatever I can do, that's how I'm going to show you my wisdom. But God decided that He wanted to show His wisdom through the church. Whew, that's weird. You know why that's weird? Because of us. I mean, you look around. This is not... I mean, we're, there's some great people in here. Well, maybe you guys are good. But back in my church, we got some weird people in our church. You know what I mean? We don't always get along and we have problems and there's sin and there's stuff that's going on. But God is supposed to make His wisdom known through us. To who? Who's He making His wisdom known to? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? Who's that? Who are the rulers, rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? Have you ever heard that phrase before? Let me give you a little hint. You know this passage, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That blew my mind. You may have seen that already, but I'm telling you, that blew my mind when I saw that and I made that connection. Wait a second. So, his intent was that he would make his wisdom known through me 
to the rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms? Remember when Satan came back to God? You may or may not know this story, but he came, comes to God and he goes, God, look at Job. You've protected him. You've done all this stuff. What in the world, God? And God's like, no, he's going to be good. So the, the rulers, the, the demonic forces of evil in the heavenly realms, God, they, guys, and there are. There are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. They're constantly trying to tell God, you don't know what you're doing. You have no idea how to be God. In fact, I know better how to be God. That's how Satan became Satan. He decided he wanted to be God. And so here's all these people telling God, all these like demonic forces, God, you don't know what you're doing. And God is like, yes, I do. Trust me. Watch this. Watch this church. Watch this group of people in Glendale. Watch how they love one another. Watch how they forgive one another. Watch how they reach out to other people together. Watch how they sacrifice their time. Watch how they decide to be selfless. Watch how they live in response to my love for them. And the spiritual forces are like, it's never going to work. And in fact, I'll show you. And they come in here and they start to work on you. And they start to get you. And they, they start to make you doubt the other people. And someone says something to you and they hurt your feelings. And someone maybe brings up an issue in your life that is not like Jesus. And you get mad at them. Who are you to tell me? Why, who, I'm going to live my own life. You need to back off. And all of a sudden you're mad. And maybe they say it wrong. Maybe they're offensive. But then you get mad and you get hurt. And you're stuck. And this is why when we go back to this, John 13, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples. So what is this? Him showing His manifold wisdom, not only to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, but to other people. The way that the church loves one another shows my plan actually works. Amen. So how are you doing, church? How are you this morning? How is your level of resentment? Is there anybody that you're upset with? Is there anybody that you haven't forgiven? And maybe you're like, no, 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 I'm good. I forgive. I forgive and I forget. I don't ever want to talk to him again. I'm good. I wish it weren't funny, but it's true. It's true. Because we get back to this. There's conflict in the church. But too often, you know what conflict in the church looks like? It looks like this. Or it looks like this. Because we're not honest about what we're feeling. We're not honest. And so here's the thing, guys. Our relationships are so incredibly important. Our hearts being clear with one another is so incredibly important. You guys, my friends in high school, you guys have got to figure this out now. How do you apologize? How do you clear out your heart? How do you talk about the things that are bothering you? People that are in college, you've got to figure this out now. Get this now at this point in your life. Because let me tell you something, the older that you get, the harder your heart gets and the harder it is to stay soft. We have to work on it all the time. Look at this passage. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. If you don't love your brother and sister, if if you're not clear with them, then you cannot love God. You can't. 
You may think you can, but you can't. And then we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, and what does he say? This makes so much more sense now. This isn't just like, okay, boys and girls, be good, but it's like make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why? Because this is important. You are important. This church is important. How we get along with one another, our relationships is so incredibly important. People's lives are depending on it. They are. That may seem melodramatic, but let me tell you something, it's not. I think my life was depending on someone in this church reaching out to my wife. I know for sure my youngest kids, Jacob and Brooklyn, their lives depended on that. And because of someone in, someone in this group, then we have an opportunity. And what else can you do? Who else can you help? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort. So here's a couple things that I want to leave you with practically to help you. And these are just some things that I have trained myself to say over the last few years. And like I said, this is the simple stuff, okay? Simple. So just walk away with this. First of all, don't take the bait. Write that down. Don't take the bait. When you hear something, so-and-so said this about me. They said, what? That's taking the bait. As soon as you believe it, you're like, they, they did what? I cannot believe that. Or someone will call you and say, you know what, I just need to get advice about this situation because I heard that this person did this and I heard this person did that. And you know, like, I, cannot, I knew they were probably going to do something like that and I knew it was going to go that way. I cannot believe that. And you know what that means? That means that this is going to happen and that means that's going to happen. That, oh, that makes me mad. Or have you ever read an email? Somebody sends you an email and there's just a little edge to it. And then maybe they put a winky face in there and they're like, you're not winking at me. I know. I know you. Right? And what is that? That's taking the bait. That's you deciding, I'm going to take the bait. Don't take it. Don't take it. Just say, you know what? I'm going to hold on. And this is a phrase that we've started saying in the turning point. It has helped us so much. I'm going to reserve emotional judgment until I know the truth. Reserve emotional judgment until I know the truth. And what does that mean? That means I'm not going to give emotional energy into this conflict that may or may not be there. This happened to me just two, last week, two weeks ago, I guess. There was a brother in our church and I heard uh, that he and his wife had decided they weren't going to let their kid come to our junior high program anymore because they, they thought it was dumb. Now, I had put all this effort and energy into revamping our junior high program. And let me tell you something. It is not dumb. But I had heard, because someone told somebody else, told somebody else, that finally told me that this other family thought it was dumb. And I was ticked. I went, oh, they think it's dumb? Okay, alright. So I get on the, I'm, I'm like, okay, apparently we need to meet. Don't ever say that word, apparently. Apparently, right? Apparently we need to meet. Alright, and so we're, we're going to, you know, we schedule it. When, when are we going to meet? And I'm trying to be good, and I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to reserve emotional judgment until I know the truth, but it's so hard. And here I am in the shower every day going, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to walk in and I'm going to say, listen, this ain't dumb. What's your problem? And they're going to say, oh yeah, it's dumb. And I'm going to go, uh-uh. And I'm having this argument in my head with someone who hasn't even said anything yet. Have you been there? Can you relate to that, right? We have arguments in our head with people that haven't even said anything yet. What is wrong with us? We're annoying. We're messed up people, guys. This is what it is. I have to reserve emotional judgment until I know the truth. So I walk into their home and they're like, so good to see you. And I'm like, it's so good to see you too. Is that smiley thing, you know? All right, let's sit down. Let's talk. All right, so what is it? And as they started talking, it had nothing to do with them necessarily thinking it was dumb. It was something else. 
And when I understood what they were really feeling, and I understood the pain and where it came from, and the fear and where it came from, all of a sudden I had compassion. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you guys are good people. That's right. And this happens to me over and over and over. And I think at some point I'm going to grow up. I would love to become a man one day where I can actually do these kind of things. But this is the stuff. Don't take the bait. Reserve emotional judgment until you know the truth. And three more things, practical things I want to share with you. When you have a conflict with somebody, never address it in in an email. Okay? Never address it in an email. It just doesn't go well. It just doesn't go well. It it never does. Secondly, whenever possible, meet face-to-face. If you have a conflict with somebody, meet them face-to-face because when you see their face, all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, you're a person. And I'm serious. That's what it does for me because if they're on the other end of an email or other end of a text or even on a phone call, I miss a part of their humanity. And they're just my enemy. But if I'm face-to-face, they stop being my enemy and they just start being a person, a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. I'm like, oh yeah. We're all equal under the blood of Christ, right? And thirdly, ask questions first. You just ask a lot of questions. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. You've got to ask questions first. And, and I like to ask this, so can you help me understand? This is what I heard, but can you help me to understand if that is even true? That question helps me a lot. Because that way I'm able just to say, this is, this is what has, Satan has been putting in my mind. This is the bait that I have that I might want to take. But can you help me to know if that's even true or not? And as I go through that, then it, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that helps me. So, like I said, this is just some simple stuff that I think will help you if you will apply it. And the reason that you need to apply it is because the church is worth it. This group of people is the hope of the world. You are the hope of the world. How you interact with one another is so important because through the church, God is going to make His manifold wisdom known. And people's lives will be changed and people will be able to be in heaven for eternity. So today, who do you need to talk to? Who do you need to get face to face with and ask a question? Who do you need to apologize to? Who do you need to let go of some resentment with? Get some help. But do it today. There are so many other things. Guys, we have so many other things to do with our time rather than being mad at one another. We've got to get that stuff out of of the church. So I'm going to pray for you now. I'm so grateful to have been here with you today. Thank you for letting me speak to you. I really am grateful for you. I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for the Neelands, for the people that I know. Thank you for fighting side by side with us in the turning point to help evangelize this part of L.A. Thank you for all of the benefit of the doubt that you have extended us when you've heard that we are crazy, because we are. Thank you for still trusting us enough to really continue to be our brothers and sisters. We're grateful for that. And I cannot wait to be in heaven with all of you one day. So let's pray to God and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for this great, great day. God, thank you that we can be brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you that you chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. God, thank you that you give us this great responsibility and this great privilege of living out your love and your plan. And God, I pray that we can continually become more and more like Jesus was. That we can continue to see the beauty and the importance of the church. God, I pray that we can really learn how to trust one another in the church and love one another in the church and overcome our own issues and attitudes with one another so that we can move forward and grow together. 
God, I pray that as we hunger and thirst after righteousness, God, that You will use us to help so many more people. God, I pray for people that were like me when I was 21 and 23, just desperately needing You and needing direction. God, I pray for all uh, of the other people that we come in contact with, the people in our apartment buildings, the people that we meet on campus, the people at our high schools, the people uh, that we work with, God, that desperately need to know You. Give us the, the conviction and the passion and the courage and the love just to reach out to them and share with them what You have shared for, with us. God, we love you so much. We thank you for this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys for letting me be with you. You are dismissed. Have a great Sunday.